Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. Equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. The following audio was recorded at Refresh Network Online, an online community for gospel encouragement and refreshment for Christian leaders and their spouses. I want to start with a question before just reflecting a little bit on on a few verses from Ephesians. This question is an unsettling one, perhaps, for, for all of us. But it's this. When people look at... I'll I'll ask the question to myself, and then you can apply it to yourselves if you wish. When people look at my life and my ministry, what sort of a master would they conclude that I serve? What would they infer about the Lord whom I say that I serve from the way that I serve him, from my attitudes and my busyness and so on? Let me leave that question hanging and we'll return to it at the end. If you've got a Bible before you, then Ephesians 2.18 is where we're going to to start and also where we're going to finish. In one sense, you don't really need to go very much beyond that. Ephesians 2 is this wonderful chapter, the first half of which describes um, the, the divinely initiated, gracious union with Christ that makes us alive together with him, raises us and seats us with him in the heavenlies. 2.11-22 then describes the peacemaking work of Jesus Christ on the cross that reconciles both vertically and horizontally, vertically to God and horizontally to one another. Hence, unity being an expression of the efficacy of Christ's work on the cross. In Ephesians 2.18, Paul summarizes much of what he's just said in this chapter. He says, because through him, that is through Christ, We both have, that is Jews and Gentiles, former enemies, we both have access to the Father by or in the one Spirit. Through him, through Christ, access to the Father by the Spirit. And right there in this stunning little verse of just eight or nine words, we have this mind-blowing concept of communion with the triune God. We have the triune economy acting on our behalf and for our benefit. We have Father, Son and Spirit uh, reaching out to redeem the likes of us and bring us into uh, relationship with him. I'm going to do something I, I virtually never do and share a couple of quotes, just things I've been reading recently that have reflected upon this. Uh, from from a couple of different theologians, one who says, if humanity's chief end is communion with God, then all the capacities and activities of the human person are ordered to that end, including the human intellect and the practice of theology in both church and academy. Growth in the knowledge of God is meant to facilitate and shape communion with God. And it's that communion I'd, I'd like us just to reflect a little bit upon Ephesians 1, the the whole of the chapter, sets us up, really, for the statements that are made then in in chapter 2. We have some of the most mind-bending theology in the whole of Scripture there in chapter 1 of Ephesians. 
we have God blessing us in the spiritual realms with every spiritual in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have the picture then of God doing this outside of time and space, uh, doing something that involves choosing us, but doing so outside of time and space, therefore in a way that's not conditioned by us, anything that we do or think or say, but entirely depends on him. Paul goes on and tells us that we're chosen for adoption and that he gives redemption according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us and so on. And, you know, I would love for us to have several hours to go into some of what Ephesians 1 says, because it is just rich beyond description. Now, most of us will have lots of questions about that. We're, we're touching on things that we simply cannot understand as creatures. But the question might be, well, what's the point of this? Why is Paul telling us these things? A quotation from another theologian speaking of theology generally, but says this, and I think it's enormously helpful. It's a way, he says, of articulating the infinite depth within the being of God, that ocean whose tide is the missions of the Son and Spirit by which lost creatures are redeemed and perfected. It seems to me that the point of Paul telling us these things is to encourage. It's to give comfort and give assurance to fortify us against the devil's schemes that he's going to be speaking of in chapter 6. We're confronted in Ephesians 1 in our own humanness and in our fallenness by the eternal, the unchanging, the self-sufficient God who is complete and perfect in his triune being, who needs nothing from us at all. And we take nothing away from him. A God who needs nothing from us and lavishly gives to us. This is a, a huge thought that it, it wasn't that before creation, God was sitting there and saying, well, it's kind of lonely around here, isn't it? Let's, uh, let's have some kids around the place to, to make it a bit more lively. God needed nothing was eternally complete in himself and creates out of lavish gift and then redeems also out of lavish gift. Creation is an overflow of lavish love. Redemption is an overflow of his lavish love. And that being the case, everything is by gracious gift. And if all that we are and all that we have is by gift, and all that we give then in service to him was first given to us. Ephesians 2.18, to return to that, access to the Father through Christ by the Spirit, the eternal, self-sufficient God in pure, lavish love, giving himself to us. Giving himself to us in order that we should have communion with him. I feel I'm dipping my toe just in the edge of this huge ocean and even talking about this, risking the hypocrisy. How much do I know of this communion with the triune God, this peacemaking work of Christ on the cross applied as the spirit then unites us to Christ so that we have access to the father. 
There are huge implications of this practically, of course. We don't, therefore, serve a needy taskmaster. We're not serving a critical boss or a demanding and a capricious parent. We're not serving a God who needs something for us and if we don't give it, is going to go off in the huff or throw a tantrum or turn his back and walk away from us. Rather, we are given as pure gift, communion with the full overflowing life of the triune God himself. And that is certainly good news. A few practical reflections on that and perhaps some questions. And, and I ask them to myself first, and they're deeply unsettling questions in some cases. Let me start by saying this, that if communion with the triune God, as Paul describes it in Ephesians 2.18, if that is not enough to make us content and secure, then nothing ever will be. If access to the Father through Christ by the Spirit is not enough to make me content and secure, then nothing ever will be. And I will spend all of my time and my talents, my opportunities, and especially the opportunities that my leadership gives me. I will spend those in trying to get what I think that I lack, getting it from others, grasping from others for what I think I lack, or alternatively defending myself against perceived threat from others. That insecurity or lack of contentment in that communion will mean that instead of receiving from God and giving to others, I will grasp from others to get what I think that I need. To the extent that we're not content and secure then in that communion, we have right there the root of drivenness, the root of all of our legalism, our Phariseeism, the root, putting it bluntly, of all of our leadership abuses that we've all been made aware of in recent months in some very high profile cases. If you flip to Ephesians 5, Paul makes this even more clear. The beginning of the chapter, he says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself on behalf of us as an offering and sacrifice to God as a pleasing fragrance. And then he goes on to talk about the things that are not fitting for the children of God, sexual morality and uncleanness and greed and coarse talk and so on, contrasting them with thank thanksgiving. All of these things which are reflections of grasping and getting what we need instead of giving thanks to God, a, a posture towards God and the world that receives as dearly loved children and then imitates God as those who are already loved, already in communion, already full and given everything that we need so that we receive and then imitate Christ's pattern of self-giving and self-sacrificial love. It's this beautiful picture, receiving and giving instead of grasping and getting. And that's the, the sort of practical payout, if you like, of what's being said there in Ephesians. A pattern is established. I'm sure as I look at the screen and look at all the faces on the screen today that there are so many of us jaded and tired. These are extraordinary and unsettling times. I wonder how many of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, might admit that in the midst of all of this, I, I've lost that first love. And am I delighting in that 
communion with the triune God? Have I lost sight just a wee bit of who does what and who's responsible for what in this relationship? Am I indeed content and secure? And there are questions that might just help to uncover some of that for us. How do I react to criticism, especially unfair criticism? How do I react to disagreement with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Or, or just plain questioning those who question me and I grow impatient with it. The worst examples of insecure leaders are just that, those who do not allow question, do not allow disagreement. And I would suggest it reflects a lack of basic contentment in that triune communion. Our job is to receive and give. In the words of Jesus from Luke 6, as children of the Most High, to imitate his attitude towards the ungrateful and the evil. That is an attitude of kindness and mercy, to demonstrate God's character in passing on what we ourselves have, have received. So how do we think about people in our churches? Are they yours, ours, are they God's? Whose agenda is more important? Can we really say with John the Baptist, he must become more and we must become less? I think there's a glorious invitation, as well as these maybe harder challenges, a glorious invitation in communion with God to live as those who really do have nothing to lose. We have nothing to lose because we've already been given everything in such a way as we are eternally secure. So let me ask a question just in wrapping this up. If I have all my needs met, if you have all your needs met in fellowship with God as a beloved child, then what will look different today? What will feel different today? What opposition will I meet today that I can love and not need to be threatened by, not need to want to eliminate because it's inconvenient and thwarting my agenda? What work can I do to bless others, passing on what I've received? Maybe more importantly for many of us today, what work can I leave undone? Because I'm not God, and he is, and he's doing his work. How will I feel about this communion with Father, Son, and Spirit today? What kindness can I show to someone who hasn't got it as right as I have, instead of shunning and avoiding them in my fear and my insecurity? What kind of God would people infer? from the way that I serve him today? Will it be a God who is kind, loving, all-sufficient, lavishly gracious, and they'll see him because of the way that you and I love him and serve him? Or will they rather see elements of a God who's capricious, demanding, temperamental, joyless, abusive, because that's what we're like? There's a call then, I think, to return to embrace this mystery of fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit, to return to that first love, turning it away from all the things, even the very good things like ministry that we have perhaps grasped onto instead of God himself, turning from those things and individually and collectively turning to God himself. And my prayer this morning for each one of us as we're gathering and as we go from here, it's just that God would grant us 
that deeper knowledge of him, that we might grow in that deep contentment and that infinite security in the triune God, joyfully serving him and passing on his love to others. Could it be, could it be that central to our ministries and our leadership, and everybody here is involved in some form of ministry and leadership, central to that, just as important as the words that we speak to others, is the extent to which we manifest a growing security and a growing contentment in our own communion with the triune God, receiving love as children and showing how good he is as we pass on that love to others. And all I can pray is, Lord, make it so. May it be so, and may it be so for your glory. Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything we've discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on any major social media application at Living Leaders, or you can visit our website, www.livingleadership.org, where you'll find even more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. Blessings. Blessings.